going to uh, just take a quick uh, look at the end of chapter number 20 uh, uh, and just kind of move into chapter 21, Lord willing, get through chapter 21 tonight. Um, during the chapter 20, this is during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches us that God is going to chain uh, Satan with the great chain uh, and cast him into the bottomless pit. Uh, and he's going to be there for most of the tribulation period. Uh, the Bible says that he will, or the, not the tribulation, the millennial period, excuse me, and I got tribulation on my brain from teaching so much of it. Uh, but during the millennial reign, he's going to be in there for almost that whole thousand years. And then the Bible says he'll be loosed for a short while. We don't know how long that while is going to be. Uh, but understand that during the time of the millennial reign, there will be uh, some folks that have survived the tribulation period. Um, and they will be ushered into the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. During that time, they will still be able to marry and have children. There will be people born. In fact, um, there's going to be an opportunity for people to once again uh, choose. And just like you and I have had the choice and the opportunity to have a free will, uh, those that are born during that thousand years will also have a choice to either choose Christ or reject Him. Understand that during this time, sin, even though it will exist, it will be ruled with a rod of iron. Um, you're going to have God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, ruling, and it's going to be a theocratic government. And isn't that going to be nice? All the laws of the land are going to be just and right and fair. And uh, that's going to be a wonderful time to live under that type of a rule. Uh, and we're going to get to rule and reign with Him during that thousand years. And we talked a little bit about uh, all of those things. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. We started dealing last week with uh, seven observations or characteristics of uh, the millennial reign. We said that, first of all, there's going to be a great increase, increase in the population during that time uh, because there won't be any wars. Uh, the, uh, the lifespans are going to be lengthened. Uh, during that time, and so there's going to be a, a pretty good increase uh, of uh, people during that time period. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 4 tells us that there's going to be an increase in knowledge, and so we're going to see a <coughs> excuse me a tremendous increase in knowledge. There will also be a universal spreading of the truth of God's word. So just because we're under a theocratic uh, government, just because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that is reigning during this thousand years. Uh, does not mean that there is still not truth to be spread. There are still those that will uh, need to make a choice uh, between uh, God and and uh, and or Satan and do their own will, their own way. And uh, so we will still need to be teaching and preaching the truth. We're going to be able to serve during that millennial reign, and uh, that'll be a wonderful time uh, of being able to have absolute religious liberty to be able to do such a thing. Uh, there will be uh, universal subjection to the rule of Christ, although uh, others may not. Uh, there may be some that uh, are born that uh, have not yet uh, been saved or trusted Christ as their Savior at that point. Uh, that will subject it to. Uh, they will be subject to the rule of God, uh, but they may not uh, be willing subjects of it. Uh, and so again, even though uh, there will be a, a subjection to it. Uh, there will be a host, and the Bible speaks of this at the end of this. There will be uh, a host that the Bible says 
is not able to be it's as numbered as the sands of the sea is the way it's worded, uh, that are going to rise up in rebellion at the end of the millennial reign uh, against God one final time uh, under the leadership of Satan himself, and they're going to try to rise up again. Uh, the fifth thing about that's going to characterize the millennial period is it's going to be a time of peace. You're not going to have nations rising against nations. Uh, you won't have war during this time. Uh, you won't have to worry about uh, picking up the newspaper and reading about shootings and, and things that are going on of that nature. We'll be in a time of peace and a time of security uh, during this time. Number six, it will also be a time where the uh, Jews will be brought to the knowledge of the truth. And they will finally realize that the Lord Jesus was the Messiah and is the Messiah. And uh, we find that in several passages, and I'm not going to look at those again because, again, Brother Tully did such a good job in teaching this portion of the chapter that we're not going to deal with a lot of this. Um, and then number seven, there's not going to be any sin. Uh, or There will be sin, excuse me, but it will be brought uh, put down with a rod of iron. Uh, so it's not going to be tolerated. You're not going to see a a world that is overrun by sin. It's not going to be a place of darkness. It's going to be a place of light. And sin is going to have a very hard time in that type of an environment. So kind of the opposite of what we're in today. And I'll tell you, I think we could use a little bit opposite, don't you? Uh, some of the darkness we live in in this day. Uh, we find that there's uh, um, going to be uh, a rising up of the end of, at the end of the millennial reign where uh, Satan is going to try one last time. And he's going to be probably, at this point, the most uh, effective at deceiving hearts as he's ever been in the history of mankind. Uh, let's take a quick look at um, uh, verse number 8 of chapter 20. Um, we'll go to verse 7. It'll be a good place to start. And when the thousand years are expired... Satan shall be loosed out of the prison, out of his prison, and shall go down to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. So he's going to raise up a pretty large rebellion. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and passed this camp of the saints about and beloved and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven. And devoured him. Now remember, at the battle of Armageddon, he devours him, but he does that by what? Anybody remember? By the word of his mouth. This time he's going to judge them by fire. And so this fire is going to come down. It's going to judge them. They come past the, the, uh, the cities of the saints or the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city here is referring to uh, Jerusalem itself, which is where the Lord is going to be reigning from during this time. And um, they're going to circle this thing. And they're going to think they're going to have some chance, I guess. Uh, but the Bible says that God is going to uh, uh, call fire out of heaven and devour them. Verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, uh, where the beast and the false prophet are. So the beast and the false prophet, if you'll remember, were already cast into the lake of fire as one of the seven vile judgments. Uh, and the Satan himself is now cast there at the same place uh, to uh, the lake of, uh, to this uh, place called the lake of fire. Now, understand that we refer to hell uh, kind of generically. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, there was a division of it. Uh, there was a place called paradise, and then there was the place of torment. Uh, that is no longer in existence. When Christ rose from the dead, uh, the Bible says He led captivity captive. He brought those saints out of paradise 
and there was a resurrection. If you'll read uh, the Scriptures, it talks about a number of Old Testament saints that rose at the same time that Christ did and were seen by many of the folks uh, for the time period that Christ was also there. I personally believe that they uh, went, to, went on up to heaven uh, at the same time that the Lord ascended back to heaven. Uh, I don't think that they lived another full life on the earth after that, but they were here just to give that, that mindset of, of the, uh, the first glings, if you will, of the resurrection. And, uh, and so that no longer exists, but there is still a place of torment. Uh, and there are people that still go there, the rich uh, ruler in, uh, that the Bible speaks of, that uh, where Lazarus sat at his gate is in this place of torment to this day. Um, and so the Bible will refer to that, and you'll see that in this chapter and again in the next chapter, it'll refer to them as death and hell. And that these two things together will be cast into the lake of fire, and that will be what the Bible refers to as a second death. And so we'll look at that as we get a little closer to it, but understand that this lake of uh, fire is the final place that Satan will rest. He will be there for the rest of eternity. At this point, he will no longer come out of this place. Uh, and the, uh, uh, the, uh, the beast and the false prophet are both there as well. And then verse number 11, if you'll watch there, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those uh, things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, this is a judgment for the unsaved, only for those that had not trusted Christ as their Savior. Christians are never referred to ever, even if they are, um, even if they are uh, gone from this physical life, they are never referred to as being the dead. Uh, they're always uh, referred to as sleeping or asleep. Um, there was one time where the Lord Jesus Christ had to simply come out and say he's dead because of his disciples' misunderstanding about Lazarus. Uh, but even then he told them that Lazarus was sleeping. But this is referring to uh, the dead, which are still in the grave uh, at this point, And they are uh, resurrected from the grave. There is a resurrection of the unsaved here. I like what Brother Tully said, and when he was here, and I'd never really given much thought of this, but he believes that this great white throne judgment is going to take place on the earth. I think there is some, uh, some validity to that discussion, that this is not a judgment that will take place in what we, what we think of as heaven, uh, but will be uh, there in Jerusalem, more than likely, uh, at the great white throne, and they will be judged because I don't believe at this point, since Satan himself has already been cast into the lake of fire, uh, that the unsaved will ever have a part of heaven in any way, even if it's for a judgment, that they will not have that opportunity to be there. The Bible does not say that they go to heaven for the judgment. Uh, it talks about the fact that they just surpassed the city and Christ uh, judges uh, those that are rising against Him, and then immediately after is the great white throne judgment. We don't see a transition there. And so Christ is still on the throne in Jerusalem at this point. Uh, and if some people disagree with me on that, that's fine. I do think there's a valid enough understanding from the context that it very well could be that this great white throne judgment takes place uh, here on the earth. Uh, the Bible says in verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so, again, this is referring to when it says death and hell gave up uh, uh, the sea and, and uh, 
death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. It talks about the sea giving up the dead that were in them and the world giving up the dead that were in them. So those that had died uh, are going to uh, be resurrected for this judgment only to be cast into the lake of fire. Uh, I'll tell you what I personally believe to be the case. I don't believe that any people that rejected Christ during the tribulation period will survive the tribulation period. So when it talks about the fact that all the dead, the dead are resurrected at this point, I don't believe that there are at this point any unsaved people on the earth uh, or people who had not trusted Him. And so they're going to judge Him. Uh, based, judge, uh, he's going to judge them based on this, uh, this idea that they're uh, raised up for the resurrection. Uh, and so we find that that's the final thing that takes place uh, at the end of the millennial reign. And then, um, I, I, I don't like to use the word, I like what Brother Tully said too about this, I don't like to use the word, that's where eternity begins, because really eternity is from past to present, and, and there is no beginning or end to it. But what we consider to be the rest of eternity uh, will begin at this point. Now, we oftentimes... Uh, refer to the fact that we get to spend an eternity in heaven. And I know what we mean by that, all obviously. But uh, as we get into chapter 21, the truth is there's going to be uh, some differences there, perhaps, uh, that would be more accurately stated. And let's take a look at those if we can. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So, at the end of this time, I mean, he, he destroys these, these nations from the corners of the earth that are multitudes of the sand uh, of the sea. And he's destroyed them by fire. You can imagine that the face of the earth is, at this point, uh, just scorched and, and not much left to it. Um, in fact, it's interesting to note that in Psalm 104, uh, it talks about the foundations of the earth uh, will abide forever, that they are not going to go anywhere. Um, so I don't know that there's going to be a, uh, a, an annihilation, if you will, of the globe that we are on now, uh, as much as it's going to be the destruction of it and then a recreation of it again, uh, and that God's going to make it new again. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that uh, Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. I personally believe that that's where... Uh, the place of torment is located at this point. Uh, it was the place where the place of torment and paradise coexisted with the great gulf fixed between them. Um, and I believe it's in the heart of the earth because that's what the Bible says. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ went. Um, and so I, I don't know that the foundations of the earth are destroyed because of the fact that that's, that's where this, this place is. Now, as to whether or not that's the same place where the lake of fire is going to be or not, I don't know. But I do know this, that hell was not created for, for, for humans. Uh, it was created for the devil and his angels. And so this place of the lake of fire that the Lord speaks of here, I believe is uh, a transition probably from that place of torment to a different place where I believe, and I think there is certainly Scripture to show this, that uh, there will be degrees of punishment. I don't think there are going to be any that are not going to be absolute torment. Uh, that are not going to be absolute torment. They're all going to be absolute torment. Uh, but there are going to be some that are tormented worse. The Bible talks about it being uh, more tolerable in that day for Tyre and Sidon. It talks about it being more tolerable for this or that. And they give several times in Scripture where it talks about in the day of judgment that there will be a, a level of toleration to some degree, but the punishment will still be eternal torment. 
and the best of it is still going to be absolute worst. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be eternal, uh, non-ending torment. And uh, so we find that that's going to be in the lake of fire that's spoken of here. So in verse 21, chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 21, John sees now a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And now John saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment. <clears throat> I've been in, in meetings where men have taught on this and preached on this. And there are some that do believe that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and that this new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven, and that it's going to be a satellite of earth. I don't know that I find that anywhere in Scripture. There's no indication at all that it doesn't come all the way to earth. Um, and the fact that we are going to see here in just a moment as we go down, that this is where the Christians, those that have trusted Christ as their Savior, that's where we're going to live. And so when we talk about, I get to spend eternity in heaven, the truth is we, we're going to be spending eternity in the New Jerusalem. We refer to it as heaven, uh, but the Bible teaches us very clearly that this is where we're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. So it's His abode uh, with man. Uh, and so we see this holy city coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And uh, speaking of the glory, the brilliance of this place, it, it is indescribable. Uh, just the beauty of it, uh, the purity of it, uh, the joy of it, all of the things you could imagine in, in a, just a, the idea of a, a bride uh, adorned for her husband and on her wedding day, the joy, the excitement, the, the thrill of that day and the, the glamour, the beauty of it. Uh, all of that is going to be encompassed in this city called the New Jerusalem. And uh, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Now, what do we mean by tabernacle? What does that mean? The place where, he res where his residence is, right? Uh, the, the Old Testament was a tabernacle. It was a tent. Uh, that was set up, and then uh, later on they built a temple for him, but it was always the place where God could reside with his people. And uh, unfortunately, we had to uh, go through a priest uh, up until Calvary, praise the Lord. We had to go through a priest to have access to the Lord, uh, to, to God, and now we don't have to have that because the Lord Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's the one that's already paid the price. And there's coming a time here in verse number 3 where it says that, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the place that God is going to dwell, <clears throat> is with men, and He will dwell with them. Can you imagine dwelling with God? And not in the form of the Old Testament temple. Uh, we're not going to be you know, camped around this temple and we have to uh, gain audience to get into the Holy of Holies to see Him. Because the Bible tells us a little further down in the chapter, there will not be a temple in this place. That the, that the Lord Jesus Christ and God are the temple. And they are going to live and reside in the New Jerusalem, and we get to live and reside there with Him. That's going to be amazing to me. Could you imagine living in God's house? Living with Him. Notice what it says here. And they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, this is the first mention we have of this, in, uh, or the, the time that this is going to take place once and for all, where there's not going to be uh, uh, some tears. And notice a couple of things that are going to be marked here. 
He says there's no, not going to be any more tears. And you wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Could you imagine? Neither shall there be any more pain. Boy, aren't we glad of that one. Most of us looking around here, we're all limping and, and uh, bandaged up and trying to take medicine for our high blood pressure and arthritis. And, uh, boy, can you imagine? For the former things are passed away. Uh, there are several references in Scripture as far as tears that uh, we shed that I believe will probably be the same types of tears that will be shed away. In 1 John chapter number 2 and verse number 28, let's take a moment to look over there for a moment. 1 John chapter number 2, and uh, let's look in verse number 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence, and notice this phrase, and not be, what? Ashamed before Him at His coming. I think some of the tears that perhaps will be shed, that the Lord will wipe away, will be the tears of shame. Heaven will not be heaven. The new Jerusalem will not be the new Jerusalem. Let's put it that way. If all through eternity we remember the shame of our failures, God's going to wipe them away. It's an amazing thing to have your guilt wiped away. One of the great, great benefits of being saved is not just having our sins forgiven and not just having the price for our sins paid for. But at some point, even the guilt that we carry for them is going to be washed away. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. There are so many times that I shed tears and say, Lord, I don't even know why you bother. I failed you again. I messed up again. There's something I've messed messed up here or didn't do what you wanted me to do. I'm thankful that I don't have to go through eternity thinking of those things. He's going to wipe those things away. Look also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 10. Paul's writing here, in verse 9, he says, For we are laborers together with God, we are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. I think the second thing is, we're going to shed tears, I believe, because of some of the ways that we have built on the foundation the works that we have done in our life since we've been saved. They're going to be judged. The Bible talks about that. We're going to be held accountable for what we built on the foundation that God laid in our hearts and our lives. And I believe we're going to suffer loss of reward in some of those. The Bible, I think, teaches that very clearly. But once that judgment is over, and we've been able to cast our crowns at His feet, God's going to wipe those tears away. Those tears of the fact that, boy, I didn't quite live up to the way I should. Uh, I believe in, let's look also in Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15, and I'll try to move as quickly as we can and yet get the message through as well as we can. 
Luke chapter 15, verse number 7. I say unto you like, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And he shares a story here in verse number 8 down through verse number 10. And I'd like to read verse number 10 for sake of time. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I think that there are going to be tears over those that we have known in this earth that were not saved. There's joy over those that get saved. I believe there's going to be weeping over those that we know that we're not saved. It may be family. It may be friends. It may be acquaintances. It may even be people that we just casually bumped into during the course of life that we had the opportunity to share the gospel with but did not. I believe there's going to be some tears of that. We're going to certainly be there at the great white throne judgment, I believe, watching these things take place. I believe we're going to see some people that we know go through that and to be cast into the lake of fire because of the fact that they had never trusted Christ as their Savior. And I think God's going to need to wipe those tears away from us. And then Hebrews chapter number 12, and we won't take time to turn there. I'll quote it to you. You can read it later. Verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I believe that there's tears that are shed as we see. If we get to heaven before uh, the rapture, and before all this takes place, I believe we're going to look down and see the failures of other saints. And we're going to weep over those as well. The Bible says that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, those of us that are still on this earth. I don't know to what extent they're aware of things, but according to Hebrews chapter number 12, it sounds like they're there looking down and watching our service and with encouragement, uh, with accountability to them and the idea that they are are watching and seeing these things. And I believe that there are tears shed uh, by those in heaven that look down and see friends and loved ones that they uh, know that are not doing the things we're supposed to do, that we're uh, uh, perhaps uh, not living the way we should. Uh, And I believe that there are failures that they, they sorrow in as well. Uh, as they see those things. So the, the several tears, suffice to say, are going to need to be wiped away. If, if we're going to enjoy eternity uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, these things cannot be something that are in the back of our minds, uh, constantly causing sorrow. Uh, every time we would come into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, it would be a reminder of our failures to Him. And by the way, this side of heaven, it ought to be that way. Every time we come to kneel with Him in prayer and devotion time and time spent with Him, there ought to be a self-examination. There ought to be this idea of, am I, am I causing sorrow to Him? Am I breaking His heart? And uh, we need to understand those things. And uh, then in contrast to that, as we get back to Revelation 21, Uh, The Bible talks about the fact that there will be no more pain. And so for all those that are saved, He's going to wipe away all these tears. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And we find that this plan that God had from the beginning of creation till its end is finally complete. The, The entirety of the plan has been fulfilled at this point. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. These are Greek letters of the alphabet, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Meaning that He was at the beginning, He's at the end, and all of it in between uh, fulfilled His overall plan for mankind. Uh, and then it says here, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And uh, we read, we studied at the very beginning, if you'll remember back, each of the churches said, to him that overcometh, and we found out that those were referring to people that had trusted Christ as their Savior. So whenever we see that phrase, it's not speaking of people who uh, overcame the tribulation period and made it through, uh, they, they fought through and made it. It's speaking here of people that have trusted Christ as their Savior. They've overcome Satan and his deceit and have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, They shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Can you imagine that? Uh, the Bible says, in, in uh, I think it's in the book of Romans, that we are heirs and joint heirs. With the Lord Jesus Christ, I was reading something a few years ago, a couple of years ago back, and a fellow made an observation. He said it doesn't say that we're co-heirs. To be co-heirs meant you would have to divide the inheritance, but to be joint heirs mean that you get all of the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ gets, and so we become joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great thing to think about! We that are sinners who do not deserve anything of God's love. Not only has He died for us and paid for our sin, not only has He given us mercy, not only has He extended His grace to us, but then He opens up His arms and says, I want you to be part of my family and I want you to be joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thought to be His Son. And I know we call ourselves the sons of God now and the children of God now, but oh, could you imagine living with Him for eternity in the New Jerusalem and He is our God, and we are His children, and have the, our joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse number 8, but the fearful and unbelieving. This is in stark contrast uh, to what God is going to do for the saved. Uh, he speaks here, the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. Up until that last one, most people in the world could say, well, I'm not one of them, or some of the people in the world at least could say, I'm not one of them. But by the time you get to the last one, that pretty well includes everybody, doesn't it? In fact, the Bible says if a man say, uh, say he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And so uh, we're all liars. Uh, and uh, so the truth of the matter is, he says that all of these that are found this way uh, are cast in, uh, are, uh, have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And you say, well, why, why do we not have that if we're liars? Because we've had the righteousness of Christ applied to us. And we are no longer looked at as liars and, and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and abominable. We're, we're, not, we're not like those. We're not the unbelieving. We are those that have had the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ imputed onto our record. It's been laid over top of it. And the guilt is gone. The record is gone. And we get to live with the Lord Jesus Christ pure as though we had never sinned. Not because of what we've done, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His sacrifice on Calvary to pay that for us. Oh, what a joy. I'll tell you what, if that doesn't light a Christian's fire, I don't know what will. I mean, we're guilt-free. 
We are, we are clean on our record. Not one spot is on it. Not even a spot. I'm not saying He cleans up our record. I'm saying He cleans our record. It is clean. We are no longer grouped with these that are mentioned here that have their part in the lake of fire. Oh, what joy. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious. Now, I'm going to explain to you here for a few minutes, and we'll look at it again a little bit more in detail next week. But I want to give a quick description here, what John's description is of the New Jerusalem. It says, having, verse number 11, "...having the glory of God in her light was like unto the most precious, a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel." On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. It refers to them in the definite article, the twelve. Obviously, Judas is not among them. Most people believe that that includes or is also including the Apostle Paul, who referenced himself as an apostle that was born out of time. And uh, it could be very clear, very possibly the Apostle Paul in this particular case. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four squares. So if you can think of it as a cube, it's got equal side, equal length, uh, equal height. And he says here the, uh, the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. That's about 1,500 miles if you do the calculations from the Old Testament measurement of a furlong, <clears throat> the length and breadth and the height of it are equal. So 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. And um, I, you know, we fly airplanes, Dave and I do, and a few other folks that we know, and we get up uh, maybe a mile high, maybe, if we go really up there and get into the stratosphere. I've been as high in, in commercial airliners as five or six miles high, could you imagine being able to be 1,500 miles high and still in the city limits? And uh, what an amazing thought. And uh, somebody put together a, uh, an overlay of a map and said if we were to lay the size of this over the United States, that it would stretch from Boston, Massachusetts, all the way down to Miami, Florida, and from New York City all the way to Denver, Colorado. That's a pretty good-sized city. That is a huge city. And Christ is going to be there. And God the Father is going to be there. And the Bible says that God and the Lamb are going to be the temple thereof. And I don't know about you all, I'm excited about this. And getting to live there with Him for eternity. Um, notice it says here in verse number uh, 14, that uh, or, or, I'm sorry, verse number uh, 16, that the city lieth four square, the length is as large as the breadth, and He measured the width with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, and the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And He measured the wall thereof, and a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And, you know, we talk about the streets of gold, but the Bible says here that the city's going to be pure gold. 
this is pretty, pretty impressive here. Uh, uh, verse number 19, the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, and I'll, I'll probably massacre one or two of these names. The fourth, an emerald, the fifth, a sardonyx, the sixth, a sardis, the seventh, chrysolite, uh, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, a topaz, the tenth, uh, chrysoprosis, and the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, an uh, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was one pearl. Could you imagine that? What what an amazing pearl. I heard some preachers say, could you imagine the oyster that thing came from? Uh, boy, a, a gate made of one pearl. And the, the uh, street of the city was pure gold, and it was, uh, as it were, transparent glass. Uh, a number of years ago, there were some critics of the Bible that said, well, uh, that can't be. You cannot uh, have pure gold. You can't see through it. Uh, and they have since found out, and science finally caught up with the Bible, and they've since found out that they can make gold so pure that it becomes transparent, that you can see through it. And it's very, very difficult to do, and they've never made it pure as glass. I think the first time we're going to see gold that pure is when we get to heaven. But it is possible. And isn't it amazing how, you know, men, men, men if they give them enough time, they might catch up with the Bible. And uh, the Bible is always true, rest assured. It may seem uh, improbable. It may, we may look at it and say there's no way. But if the Bible says it, it's going to happen. It's true. And I love things like this where men say, oh, that's impossible. And then come to find out, well, we were wrong. It's possible. And I love things like that. All right, in verse 22, we're almost done. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are, notice the next word here, saved. So these are the ones that are going to be here. Shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And there's no reason to shut the gates. There are no enemies to shut them against. Um, the gates are open. Now, while we will live in the new Jerusalem with the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not constrained to just be there. Uh, the gates are open. There's obviously a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, I believe the implication here with the gates never being shut is that we have the freedom to go all over this place that God has for us. Uh, our abode, our, our place where we reside, will be there in the New Jerusalem. But I believe we get to experience the full joy and beauty of the universe that God has at that point. Uh, the new earth, uh, the new heaven that will be out there, and uh, the things that we can so, so much enjoy even in this life. I believe we'll get to see Him in so much greater perfection and so much greater beauty and joy and will cause us to do nothing more than to praise Him more for His greatness and His goodness. Then verse 26, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And these are the ones that get to live in the New Jerusalem with God and the Lamb. And I'm looking forward to that day. And so uh, the next time we sing, when we all get to heaven, uh, we understand what we mean by that, right? Uh, it's really the New Jerusalem, but 
That's where we're getting to spend the bulk of eternity. Uh, right now, if we die and, and uh, go home before the rapture, we'll go to the place that we refer to and the Bible refers to as heaven. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord now. Uh, I did the funeral for somebody here recently, and one of their relatives said, well, they're asleep now until the rapture. And I said, well, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, there was a time that uh, in the Old Testament there was the place of uh, paradise where they stayed until Calvary, until the Lord uh, died on the cross, but then He brought them out of there. And the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the moment we shut our eyes in death, we're in His presence. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to by death or by the rapture getting there. And I hope it's by the rapture because I don't like the process of the death part of it. But either way, it's sure going to be worth it, isn't it? We're certainly going to be overjoyed with that. And uh, one chapter left to go. I took you a little bit long tonight, but wanted to get through that so we can finish up next week. And um, we'll be done, next, uh, Lord willing, next uh, week. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of it, how it encourages our heart, strengthens our faith. Things that we have to look forward to, things of great joy and great comfort. I pray that You'd help us to look forward to those days with anticipation. May we, in the meantime, be busy doing the work that You've given us to do. May we live a life that is pleasing to You and honoring to You. And is a testimony.